You're listening to the Banner Church Podcast, recorded in Scottsdale, Arizona. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us online at thebannerchurch.com. All right, good morning. How are you doing today? We've been at Banner Church several times, but never gotten to speak here. And uh, the other times have kind of been like special days and things like that. But I uh, said to somebody there in the uh, lobby just a minute ago, um, I pray for this church. So it's really neat to come and see it happen, you know. And uh, so we prayed for you. Love all of you. My wife Carla's with me, honey, if you'll stand and just let them say hi to you. Uh, We are glad to be together. And uh, we live out in East Mesa. So we actually look, I looked in my rearview mirror. It's like leaving Colorado this morning. I mean, all the beautiful powder mountains out there, and uh, isn't that bizarre looking? But uh, it's neat. But I'm excited. I believe God uh, is going to use this church, already has, but in years to come, if he tarries, doesn't come back, that we're going to see great results in Old Town Scottsdale. Amen? Through Banner Church and through the body of Christ here. And as you drive through, we know this uh, place, as many of you, and we've been here many times through the last three decades of being in in Arizona and in Scottsdale, and this is just a key area for God to do something new and uh, believing for that. I uh, love Dane and Bridget. Uh, I was Bridget's youth pastor. That's how old we are, my wife and I. Uh, she, was, uh, she was a great kid in youth, and then I don't know what happened after that, but she was awesome in her youth days. No, she's great. We love Dane and Bridget so much, and uh, getting to know Josh and Katie in the last year and a half or so uh, it's just been a delight to, to me, especially because I work with Katie there in the office and uh, hang out with Josh some, and uh, Carl and I just have a high regard for your pastors and, again, believe that there's a great, great things ahead. Amen? And I even love Carson. I got to say that, all right? Uh, this guy kills me and appreciate him and Stacey are in the office as well. But let's get to God's Word. If you have your Bibles, go to Psalm 37. Psalm 37, I would highly recommend you do one of two things. Go ahead and get that little note-taking device they give you there in the, uh, I guess, in the bulletin, or uh, have your phone ready and just snap six screens, especially later as we go through this, because I don't have like six Ps or, you know, alliteration kind of a thing where you're going to remember this, but rather uh, they're statements, but I really want to encourage you to take them down Bring them back to Psalm 37, put them in your Bible, or kind of hang on to them. And if you don't need it now, you'll probably need it someday, all right? I would just kind of surmise that. But let's pray. Father, we just lift up your word to you today. We know it is anointed, it is living, it is active, it works in our hearts, it judges us, it moves us, it gives us your grace in amazing ways. And Father, for this kind of very important but unique topic for a Sunday morning, God, I just pray by your Spirit that those who have an ear to hear what the Spirit would say to the church would hear today. So we open ourselves to your word, and we say, God, speak to me right now. Would you just pray that under your breath? Just say, God, speak to me. I'm open. I'm open. Not, not so much this vessel, this guy, but, Lord, you, by your Spirit, speak to me today in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. I'm a, uh, I hate to bring up football because I know the Super Bowl, when that day comes in some of your lives, you're like, thank you, God, we're free for like, you know, a year. But the truth is, it's like four or five months, and I live in it all the time. Channel 212 on my uh, satellite, and I'm checking out the Chicago Bears and the Arizona Cardinals. Could you hear any man? That was really strong. Thank you. Your support was just overwhelming. Yeah. Isn't Josh a Seattle guy? Seahawks? Yeah. 
Lord, we just pray. No, I'm just kidding. We'll, we'll let it go. But anyway, but, but I just have to mention the Bears had a turnaround year. They, they've been in last place three years in a row, and then this year it's just like, I mean, God did something great, all right, for Chicago. I think he just gives a grace now and then to kind of encourage them up there in the bitter cold of the Windy City and all that. But anyway, it was a great turnaround year. They make the playoffs. I'm, I'm watching the Bears play the Eagles, and I have waited. I mean, you just, as, as, a, as a fan watching this turnaround, they've gone into first place from last place. This is a year and excited about it. But all year going, all week going into that last game, playoff game, in Chicago the talk was what would, you, what would happen if Parkey has to line up for a field goal from like 35, 40 yards in the last seconds of the game? And whoever would say this, I heard it like four or five times in the week before, and, and the, the person would moan and go, no, I can't, that can't happen. It happened exactly that way. But I'm watching the game early on. For some reason, I was alone. Uh, my son-in-laws tend to watch others with me as we watch through the playoffs. But I was there alone, and my wife was there. But watching football, I was there alone, okay? And she would kind of wander into the room and act interested and go, uh-huh, you know, and then kind of go on. But she walked in somewhere in the first quarter. This is just a few weeks ago. And I, I just said to her, honey, I am, I am so amped out about this game. And I'm, I'm in my rocker, and that's my prayer chair, and that's my sports chair, and God understands both, you know. And so I'm, I'm, just, I'm just moving to it. And, and, uh, and, and then later she came through, and I said, I am just so, I'm, I'm, almost, I'm almost anxious over this, you know. And she said, well, check your heart rate. So I, I did. I looked at it, and, and I was 40 beats a minute faster than my normal resting heart rate. Watching a football game, all right? Just say the word with me, idolatry. Go ahead, idolatry. I mean, it's ridiculous. Well, then she came on through, and it was a little bit later, second quarter and near the half. And again, I just kept saying, I was noting. I mean, this is crazy. I checked my heart rate. I'm over 50 beats a minute, okay? You get to the end when he's ready to line up for that field goal. She was getting the pads ready, a defibrillator. I mean, it was just there all over a football game. But it's a big game. It mattered to me a lot, right? It's crazy. But I literally felt just like this, this anxiousness or almost an anxiety over a dumb football game. Now, now it's dumb. It took me about a week later to realize how dumb it was because right then it was big. It was important. Have any of you noticed, though, that anxiety is, is like a major thing today in our culture? Uh, it's bigger probably than a lot of us realize. And as I bring this to you this morning, um, it's something that, that I note, obviously, in, in, in two veins. One is some studies I'm doing at Grand Canyon, and the same token, all the years of ministry I've been in. But, but just a little, a few stats for us to kind of place it in our minds today. Anxiety, um, supposedly, according January 2019, so this is fresh, this is about a month ago, that one-third of all prescriptions that are dispensed. Now, how many of you know we love prescriptions in America, right? One-third of all of our prescriptions are anxiety-related. A third of all prescriptions. It says a third, 30, 30% of all Americans suffer with some kind of an anxiety type of struggle. Another survey found 41% of, of all employees were saying that there is stress in my workplace, that I struggle and, I, and getting out of the car and walking in, I'm feeling pressure. 41%. One, one survey I saw had, had half of college students saying that I need help in how to manage my anxiety. And for those of us that are older, I mean, these are young people. They've got the stamina. They've got everything going their way. And yet half of them saying, I need someone to help me with, with anxiety. Based on the Journal of Psychiatry, it's estimated that anxiety costs Americans $42 
billion dollars a year. Now, that's just a big number that we can kind of throw out there, but to bring it home and understand, it's that that's a one-third of all of mental health costs, period. A third of mental health issues has to do with anxiety. So anxiety is, as they say, the number one mental health issue uh, today. And I guess it goes without saying today, anxiety is not just a cultural thing, it's a church thing too. So it's not just out there, it's, it's in here. It's, it's something that we all have to look at, and Scripture has a lot to say. Matter of fact, the Anxiety Center, a group of mental health professionals, and this is fascinating to me because they are mental health professionals in year 2019 now, and they focus strictly on anxiety And they remind us that it's not an it kind of disease. It's not something that suddenly comes upon us and then we talk about it. They say it's not that. Rather, it is the result of behavior. Say, what behavior then? They give three things. They say behavior or anxiety is the result of behaviors of worry based on fear, where we worry about things, worry about the future. Second are thoughts, uncontrolled thoughts, random thoughts, thoughts that plague us. Focusing on our problems. And third, imagining worst-case scenarios about the future. Now, this is Anxiety Center. You can Google it. Don't do it now. But you can look it up and read about them. And they just spend their whole life helping people deal with, and in three areas, coming from worry uh, or fear-based worry, coming from our thoughts and focusing too much on our problems and then worrying about, about the future. Now, you look at those three, and if you know the Bible at all, you realize the Bible addresses all three of those a lot. The Bible talks about worry. The Bible talks about your thought life. The Bible talks about the way that we view our future. And as we look at this today, we realize that Jesus, of course, uh, he he addressed things 2,000 years ago that are so incredibly relevant to us today, right? Right? And, and, and just look, take a look at Matthew chapter 6. This is known as the Great Sermon on the Mount. Just to quickly uh, take a look at how Jesus addressed these very things and how incredibly relevant. It's, ap- it's amazing to me. Matthew 6, verse 25. That is why Jesus said, I tell you, not to worry about everyday life. Verse 27. Can your worries add to you a single moment unto your life? Then a few verses later, verse 31, so don't worry about these things. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? The basic staples of life. Now realize, his, his uh, crowd in that day, they couldn't just get in the car and run to Starbucks to get a pick-me-up pick in the morning or, or to run the grocery store and just get whatever they needed. They eked out a living. It was a different thing, right? A very unique culture 2,000 years ago to what we live today. So that was a concern for them. But what did he tell them? Do not, number one, don't worry. The very thing that anxiety experts tell us today. Second, then, he said, what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, of those that don't know God, okay, have a relationship with God. So what are we into? Second, thoughts, the very thing anxiety experts tell us. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs, verse 34. So don't worry about tomorrow. Isn't that amazing? Jesus addressed the very three things that that, that the anxiety center says is the cause of anxiety. Jesus addressed those three in the Sermon on the Mount 2,000 years ago. How many think he knows how to tell us how to live? Of course he does. So I wanted today to take you to an example. And and I'll be very upfront, very honest with you about this. Um, I have known what it is to be anxious in my life. 
not just during Bears games, all right? Cardinals games, I die. Okay, let's just be real about it, all right? I mean, we're talking the low of the low, right, right now. But, but, but I'm talking in real life, getting up, going through your day. I've known what it is to battle anxiety. I've known what, I've learned a lot more about it in recent years. I'm, I, I'm more aware of it today. But, and I think, and a friend of mine said to me um, one time, just kind of observing, said, I think in some ways my family background stirred a little bit of anxiety in all of three of us kids as, as we were raised. And wonderful, godly parents. Dad's a pastor, wonderful people, and, and yet still. So, so I'm not talking down to anyone today. And if anything, I'm wanting to join with you. And again, if you say, well, I don't have any issues with worry, I never worry about anything, no issues about my thought life and, and being plagued with things, and, I, and I don't, I'm not even concerned about tomorrow. Fine, still pack this away because it just might be one day that you might need what that little bald preacher brought that day at Banner Church, all right? For others here today, though, if you are struggling, I almost see Psalm 37 as one of those beautiful nuggets in the Word of God where God knows exactly where you are, and he, in essence, almost gives us an antidote for anxiety. And it, to me, is a, is a phenomenal thing as we'll look at it today. So let's look at, at Psalm 37. Now, I'm, I'm a pretty simple guy when it comes to the way I approach the Word of God. Uh, the first thing I think always we need to do is look at the obvious. Because there are just things when you read the Bible that just come right out and you go, that, well, that must be what the author, what David in this case wanted us to catch. So there are obvious things. Now, beyond that, I'm a pastor, so I love to mine out uh, the Hebrew or the Greek and, and to do study, word study, and historical study and exegetical work in, in the Bible, definitely. But the first thing you need to do is just look at the obvious. And there are two things that jump out to me here. The first thing is that, that David here is um, pretty bent over something that the Bible talks a lot about. Matter of fact, interesting enough, back in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus talked about this very same tension, I'll call it, and we see the same thing here in Psalm 37. And you note it because he is talking here about the righteous versus the unrighteous, or the just versus the unjust. It can be translated. Those who are living for God and those that know nothing about God or choose not to live for God, we have this tension, and that is at the very heart of this psalm. Matter of fact, the, the, the phrase, the righteous, is found nine times in Psalm 37. So that's only 40 verses, nine times. So every about third or fourth verse, you've got the righteous mentioned. The, the wicked are mentioned 11 times. In, in this psalm. So obviously at the very heart of this one little song to the Lord, David is grappling between the righteous and, and the wicked. The second thing that we note, and it's quite obvious here, and well, let me first just frame it to say this. When you look at how David enters into the psalm, he is, is frustrated about some things. He's, he's feeling angst. Maybe you might call it anxiety over this issue of righteous and unrighteous. And, and as you go through the psalm, there are some nuggets here. One of them is verse 25 that many of us would know well. David says, I was young and now I'm old, yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their seed begging bread. And there's one of those statements about the righteous among all the others. And we also acknowledge in now David is King David. He's later in his life. I was young. Now I'm an old man. So this is kind of like wisdom from King David later in his life, all right? So there's that tension. The second thing is the way it unfolds is almost like an antidote for you. And, and the first verse tells you what not to do. And then verses 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7 tell you what to do. 
And when the Bible is that clear about something, friends, I'm telling you, God wants you to get a hold of this today, all right? Let's look at it. Let's read through just the first nine verses here, and, uh, and then we'll comment, all right? Verse number one, do not fret. Say that with me today. Do not fret because of evil men, or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will do this. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn, the justice of your cause like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for the Lord. Do not fret when men succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It only leads, it leads only to evil. So three times, what does David say? Do not fret, but instead do these things. Now, the word fret there is interesting in the Hebrew. It's anchored in anger, so there's kind of an element there of anger or angst you have toward people or something, but then it has to do with being worried or being anxious, being, well, you're fretting, obviously. That One Hebrew source put it this way. This is to be in a state of worry and concern as an extension of being internally angry, and we've all been there. So this is, this is common plight to humanity, where things externally impact us, where internally we're feeling some things and we're struggling with it, okay? If any of you are real news watchers, okay, I think David's saying maybe back it off a little bit. My wife tells me that now and then. She sees the level of, of fretting that might rise, right? But some people are so engulfed in that. Let me tell you, <clears throat> politics today in America, it will make us fret, no matter which side of the aisle we're on, it's a crazy day we're living in, isn't it? But the Bible says don't do that. So don't allow something that, that almost is based upon anger but works its way out in worry or concern about things. Do not fret, all right? For others of you, it's not the political scene. Uh, it might be you releasing your you know, six-year-old into first grade. Uh, it might be something in your marriage that you just, it's an unresolved thing that you're struggling with. And it could be something where you, you do, you park, you head into work, and you, you just feel something inside of you, and there's this sense, all right? He's saying here, do not fret or be envious of those. You're looking at other people. But bottom line, he says, anxiety is something that God understands the world's going to give you opportunities to have. So rather than fretting and being anxious, he says, there are six things, really the seven things that we could look at, but we're going to deal with six of them today. And let me just say parenthetically, David would not have put this in the Bible 3,000 years ago in the writ of, of, of Israel's songs if it wasn't something they were dealing with on a regular basis. And Jesus 2,000 years ago would not have addressed that massive crowd on the hillside there near the Sea of Galilee up. If you've ever been to Israel, and they say that's probably where the Sermon on the Mount took place, and there's many reasons why historically. He would not have addressed thousands of people and, and talked about worry and, and thought life and the future had it not been something that plagued humanity. So we're here today, and God has a really good word for us. In the simplicity of the psalm, verses 1 and 2, what not to do, verses 3 through 7, what we need to do. And that is we need to trust, we need to dwell, we need to delight, we need to commit, we need to be still, 
and we need to wait just play. And these six things combined, especially, and then just pulled together in your heart and living them out as we'll conclude here in just a few moments, you'll realize these are ways that God has given you so that you can deal with anxiety in, in your life, all right? Let's take the first one, trust. Verse three, trust in the Lord and do good. Now, the word trust here, we automatically, we have in our own mind the concept of what it is. But each of these, I want to look at the Hebrew just real quick and, and unpack it just a little bit. The word trust here has two elements to it. It is to rely upon, but it's also to have confidence in. And there's a difference, all right? I don't know if any of you played the trust game back at like in school or at camp or something where you, you climb up on like at Granite Hills, our camp up in Prescott, up on one of those big boulders, and your friends are standing behind you, and they say, put your arms out, close your eyes, and just fall back. You know, it, it's a stupidity test is what it is, all right? It's, and I did it years ago a few times. I have to say, though, when I would do that, I would rely fully upon them. If not, I wouldn't even be here probably. But I can't say that I was confident in them. And there's a difference, see? We can rely upon God, but God wants us to believe in him. We can rely upon God, but he wants us to trust him in a way that we are confident he is going to bring us through. So rather than fret, rather than be anxious about what we see happening around us, number one, trust in the Lord. Confidently rely upon him. And in that as we see it, and I'll just kind of state it this way, confidently rely upon God, but also do the right thing. Because it says what? Trust in the Lord and do good. See, when we're all wigged out about people or things and getting our eyes on them more than on the Lord, it's really easy for us to fall into we may not do the right thing in that moment. We may take things into our own hands. One of the worship songs reflected that today, and I love that, Gianna, wherever, where's Gianna at? Really sweet, really nice. Uh, enjoy the worship, but, but there was one, and I thought of this very thought right here. It's a matter of doing the right thing, the righteous thing, and maybe trust God. That is what his word tells us to do. See, the subtle temptation can be that we maybe cut a corner at work, get a little even Stephen on that person, create a little bit of havoc around them, maybe gossip a little bit, and we're doing it our way to take care of that situation that we're anxious over. Stop. Confidently rely upon God and keep doing the right thing. Do good, he says. Then the next one, the next word, verse 3, dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Now, now that kind of is unique for us this morning. What does it mean to dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture? Well, interesting enough, the land here is mentioned seven times in this psalm. So at the heart of David's thought about anxiety and all of this fretting, has to do with the land. What did the land represent to David? What did the land represent to Israel? The land was God's provision. It's where God brought them into and wanted them to enjoy and be blessed where he brought them to and for them to remain there and live in God's blessing. I just read in my quiet time yesterday morning a, a verse in, in Jeremiah where he says, if, if you don't obey me, you're going to be cast out of the land. They're going to lose. And what happened? It was in Jeremiah's time. He's the weeping prophet. Israel's taken into captivity. They lost the very provision God had given them because they didn't follow God, obey God. They went after other gods and idolatry and all of that. They didn't remain in the land that God had provided for them. What a picture for us, hear me, when we become anxious. We are fretting we're anxious, we're envious of others, we're looking out there, rather than what? Just being satisfied in what God has given us. 
Not focusing on them, but focusing on God's goodness to us. That's what the land represented here. The Hebrew word means, think of this, to inhabit, to settle down, to abide in what God has given you, the land. Sometimes we need to quit focusing on others and just be thankful for the God's faithfulness to how good has and rather than fretting and looking, just stop and think, wait, what has God given me? How good has God been to me? So instead of fretting, number two, be satisfied where God has you and rest in it. Settle down in the place that God has you. Uh, abide in what he's provided you. Rest in it. The next one, oh, I love this, verse 4. Many of us know this. Probably one of the most oft-quoted verses in the, the Old Testament. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will what? Give you the desires of, of your heart. Now, the word delight here, this, this is a, a powerful word for us in the Hebrew. It, it's the picture, and again, get the context. Rather than fretting or worrying or being anxious, instead, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you desires of your heart. The word delight there carries the idea of finding supreme pleasure in the Lord and mental satisfaction in the Lord. So see, it's very hard to have those kind of thoughts plaguing us and be mentally satisfied in him. The two don't cohabitate well, do they? So it's a matter of you finding pleasure in the Lord and you being mentally satisfied in the Lord rather than, than, than being anxious, obviously. See, when the bears go from first, last place to first place, I have a pleasure in that. I, I rejoice in that, all right? I'm mentally satisfied in that. I can name you a lot of things, and you can name all of us here, a lot of things that bring you pleasure, that bring you mental satisfaction. All kinds, and you know what? God wants us to enjoy these wonderful things he's created for us. But this is saying to do that in the Lord. Find your pleasure in God. When's the last time in God you found pleasure? Or in God there was a, a mental satisfaction. In your mind, you were just so satisfied in the Lord. You know what that is? That's a picture of worship. That's true worship. Uh, A.W. Tozer called it a preoccupation with God. That when we worship, we're preoccupied. Isn't that a great way to look at it? We're preoccupied with God when we worship him. The most beautiful definition I've ever seen, I'd sure snap this. I wish I could provide it for you. But let me read it shortly, and you might want to just grab this off the screen on your phone. This is from Dr. William Temple. Worship is to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God. So quickening our conscience by God's holiness. To feed the mind with the truth of God. To purge the imagination by the beauty of God to open the heart to the love of God and to devote the will to the purpose of God. Now, I've led a lot of worship in my life, and I love music, and I love worship. I love every song we say. I, just, I love God. I love to worship him in song. But do you see that worship goes way beyond a song? Worship has to do with our imagination. It has to do with our will. It has to do with our heart. It has to do with our conscience, our mind. That's the picture of worship. More than just a song, but it's who we are, fully preoccupied with God. That is finding our delight in God, see. And it's not just delight in the Lord, but did you catch that? Delight yourself in the Lord. There's a difference. David didn't say delight in the Lord. He says delight yourself 
in the Lord. We often will call this self-talk. It's what David did in Psalm 103. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Who's he talking to? Himself. Praise the Lord, soul, and all that's within you. Praise his holy name. You're talking to yourself to give God praise. To give him. That's what David's saying here. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you desires of your heart. Find your mental satisfaction, but he's saying you encourage this in and of yourself. So rather than getting all stressed out about everything that's happening in the world around you, stop and just, and, and just tell yourself. For me, Jeff, look at how incredible God is. Jeff, go back. And I do this often in my quiet time. I will go all the way back and I'll think of, of, of Genesis. I'll think of how God walked with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and into Moses and the Exodus and then Joshua. And I'll kind of look through Israel's history and I will delight in how good God was to Israel, how merciful a God he was. And before long, I'm looking at his character and his ways and his traits and who God is. And you know what? I'm finding a pleasure in God and a mental satisfaction in who he is. We serve an amazing God, don't we? Sometime you need to self-talk yourself to remind yourself, hey, delight in God. Find your pleasure in God and your mental satisfaction. in. So number three, instead of fretting, think happy thoughts about God and self-talk it, all right? Delight yourself in the Lord, all right? So self-talk it, how, how good God is, what an awesome God he is. Some of you probably noticed, now especially you will, but earlier when I read in Matthew 6, I left out a key verse, and I realize that for this purpose. To go back on the screen, Jesus said, so don't worry about things, worry, what we'll eat, what we drink, what we wear, things that dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, thoughts, for your heavenly Father already knows all of your needs, but I left this verse out. But seek ye first, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then all these things will be added unto you. Seek first the kingdom. This is the picture right here of delighting yourself in God. It's that despite any of your concerns and worries, you put God first. Matter of fact, even just in the tithe this morning, the moment of our giving financially to support the ministries of this church and, and all the missions coming out of that, it's a matter of saying, God, even in my finances, I'm prioritizing you. I bring my tithe. I bring my offering. I'm putting you first, God. Seek first the kingdom because what did Jesus say? Everything else will come to you. God will provide for you, all right? So it's part of our delighting ourselves in him. Because, see, when we delight ourselves in him, he will give us the desires of our heart. It's that our heart will align then with what he really wants for us. And when our heart aligns and our desires become his desires, he will give you everything that you desire in life as you delight in him, worship him, and love him, all right? The next one, number four, instead of fretting, drop the baggage that you carry and give it to God. Drop the baggage you carry and give it to God. The word there in verse 5, commit your way to the Lord, is, um, is a, really a cool word in the Hebrew. I heard it illustrated years ago of a camel. And you get a big old camel and that heavy load that they would use to carry there in that, in that Arabian desert, in that Middle Eastern area. And, and, and they would come and those big old knobby knees in, they break it down, the camel rolls. Or just picture the Geico commercial. All right, there you go. It's hump day, right? Wednesday. But they're, they're goofy, crazy looking animals. But, oh, they were valuable in that day. So they would carry the load, but you know what? They would break those legs down, and they would roll the camel to its side, and they would remove all the baggage, all the luggage, all the load, and then the camel would get back up. And imagine how, how much better the camel felt. It's kind of like a freeing. The word here, commit, is the word to roll. It says, commit your way to the Lord. Roll your way to the Lord. Now you see the picture. 
the picture is a lot of times we carry our way on us when the Lord is just saying, give it to me. I've got your way in my hands. Oh, but I'm concerned about the future. Give it to him. No, no one can pluck you out of the Father's hand, it says, right? You have the conf- That's what Romans 8, it's my favorite passage probably in the entire Bible, especially about midway through, all things work together for good of those that love God. And it goes all the way through, nothing can separate you from God's love. R.A. Torrey years ago called Romans 8, a soft pillow for a tired heart. And we've all been there. And you just kind of need to snuggle up to those promises of God and rest in him. That's the picture here. We many times fret over our way, but David says, no, no, roll that way over to the Lord. Give it to him. Let him have the burdens. And, and matter of fact, in my office years ago, I kept a, a, I went through several of them, a little stuffed animal camel. Because as I was ministering and praying with people and counseling them, I would come to point many times, I'd grab my camel, and a few times I gave it to them because I realized I think they need a reminder of this. But I would take it and give them that illustration out of Psalm 37. It's this, roll your burden to the Lord. So don't carry that. Psalm says, the Lord daily bears our burdens. Isn't that a good verse? The Lord daily bears our burdens. Not only when you're in those rough seasons. No, no, every day you live, the Lord daily bears our burdens. Peter said, cast all of your care upon him because he cares for you. It's almost a play on words there in the Greek. Because the one is a noun. Give him your care because he what? He cares for you. So see, we give to God. Tell me, if God cares enough to carry your care, why do you keep carrying your care instead of letting God carry your care? Does that make sense? It's just giving it to him, right? It's committing our way, rolling it to him. He wants that because he knows in this world we will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. He has overcome the world. So he wants to carry that for us. Number five and six are found in verse seven, and they're beautiful. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. And then again, for the second of three times, do not, do not fret. So number five, instead of fretting, sit quietly before God and quit talking. It's real simple in the Hebrew. The word be still means to stop and to be silent. So stop and, and silence, but that's the word be still. Now, I know what it is to stop. I've been very disciplined in my stop. I, I was talking to Jamin not long ago about my stop. I, I've learned to stop. And, you know, that's a discipline because all of us go, go, go. We have to stop. We call it a quiet time, devo time, our worship time, but we stop. But, you know, also we need to be silent. So it's a stopping, a ceasing, and a silence before the Lord. Be still before the Lord. I did this this morning. It was nice. I did it yesterday morning. Oh, I did it the morning before. I did it the morning. I did, I did it all week long. Every day I have moment, a moment that I stop and then I'm silent before God. That's the picture here, to be still. And you know, when anxiety comes our way, it's, it, it, it kind of tends to be something that we want to share with others, want to talk about. And there's nothing wrong. It's very therapeutic to do that, definitely. But sometimes we do that at the point that we never stop and are quiet before the Lord because we're talking to other people about it all the time. And he's saying, would you please come over to me and just spend some time with me? And at times, even I know all, and once you've unburdened it to me, why don't you just sit silent in God's presence? How many of you have ever found an amazing result when you just quieted yourself and let God be God and you be you? That's what this is calling us to. It's a silence and a stopping. God prescribes for us. 
It's a, then, then we come to the sixth word, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Be still and wait patiently for him. Here's a beautiful word in the Hebrew, and then we'll be concluded in just a moment. It's not a passive word. To wait, we often think, is that you are leaning back and uh, you're, just, you're not doing anything. Oh, no, no. To wait is for you to, in hope, expect God to come through. It's much like, it's kind of like sitting on a bench, they say in Hebrew. You can sit back against the bench and you're just waiting. You're like Forrest Gump, all right? You're just waiting there. Or you can be leaning forward and you're waiting for the bus to arrive, the friend to arrive, the parade to arrive, whatever you're looking for to come. That's a whole different posture, but in both cases, you're waiting. I've been to a lot of graduations and commencement exercises like you have, and, and when you're there, we're waiting for the music, waiting for pomp and circumstance, waiting, but I mean, the minute we hear it, and here comes the line, what do we do? We get our cameras ready, and everybody's, and you're trying to capture that picture, the one person you're there for, right? Wait till you're a grandparent, and it's kindergarten graduation. There we are, you know, it's crazy. They're like animals trying to get, to, get the right shot of your, of your grandchild. But we're waiting, oh, but we're hopeful. There's an expectation. I'm about to see so-and-so as they come through the line. That's what David said here to do. Rather than fret, he says, I want you to wait. The word there, number six, then would be this. Instead of fretting, let God take action and and stay hopeful. See, let God take action and and stay hopeful. It's a thing that when we wait upon God, we are relinquishing all our rights to work this thing out on our own. But we're believing God is going to work this out on our own, on, on his own. And on your accord today, one of the worship songs we just sang, his way is better. Lord, I'm just realizing your way is better. That song had in it this very Hebrew word. It was that we're, wait, we're, letting, we're doing it God's way. So if I'll just be in, with you, God, in your presence, God, you are going to work this thing out then. So let's look at these six things, all right? Rather than fret... Let's walk through these together. Confidently rely upon God, number one, and do the right thing. Confidently rely upon God and do the right thing. Be satisfied where God has you and rest in it. Think happy thoughts about God and self-talk it. Drop the baggage you carry. Give it to God. Sit quietly before God and quit talking. Let God take action and, and stay hopeful. Now, these are, these are six things, and as I, as I look at these six things, I have to admit, uh, over, over the course, I was just sharing with my wife this morning about it, I, I'm, I'm realizing that there's a few of these I'm doing really good at, and then I think, oh, I'm really slacking on a couple of them. But you know what? Think about it this way. Can you have confidence as you trust in God and at the same time be fretting? You really can't. It's one or the other. Either you're going to fret or you're going to be confident in God and rely upon him in your circumstances. How about settling down? Can you abide and just rest in God while you fret? You really can't. Finding pleasure in God, mental satisfaction in Him, delighting in Him while you fret yourself to death Monday morning. Just the two don't, don't go together. One has to give way to the other, right? How about giving your load to Him? God, I'm fretting all the way while I give you all my burdens. No you got to give him your burdens or else you're just going to carry them through your day. Don't fret, but rather give your load to him. How about stopping and quieting yourself before God? See, stopping and silence, really, I, you hate to say it in church, but it's almost like we need to just, just shut up, right? Just be quiet. Let God be God. It's very hard to fret and at the same time be quiet before God and just give it to him. How about waiting in hope? 
that he's going to take care of your circumstance. It's very hard to do that while we fret. See, each of these and all of them combined, I'm telling you, to walk through this, it, it, it will cause you to automatically just give it over to God and rely upon him. And guess what? The anxiety will lift. It's an antidote that God's given us for anxiety. You know, the heart of all of this is something that, that to many they, they can't quite even fathom really, but at the heart of this is a relationship with God. That, that every day you live, God wants you to be with him, spend time with him, rest in him, give your way to him, find satisfaction in him, trust. And it's, it's a relationship with God. It's a relationship with him because he knows what you're going through and he cares. He cares. He doesn't want you to live in anxiety. Anxiety is all a behavior that he wants you to take these choices, live this way so that you'll be anxiety free. He wants to help you with that today. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes this morning? You know, I know many of you here today know some of your backgrounds, where you're coming from, but there are others here I don't know. Um, maybe you just walked into Banner for the first time today. I'm so glad you're here and would hope you'd come back next week, hear Josh and get to know him and Katie. But wherever you come from today, I, I realize according to statistics, there are some of you really that you struggle with this. You worry about the future and your thoughts sometimes really, they run away with you sometimes. Maybe some you just say, and we use the term a worry wart or whatever, but I've got an aunt that always, the five siblings on my mom's side, they always laugh that she tended to just kind of be a worrier. And that may be you today and say, well, that's just my disposition. No, that, that's a choice. And it's something that Jesus said, please don't do that. And, and David said, here's a way that you, you won't do that. And, and really, he told us the same. Don't fret. Don't worry. So if that's you here today, I'm going to encourage you in just a moment to, to come forward and, and find a place of prayer. And why don't you today begin to live out Psalm 37, even today before you leave. It might be to kneel down here or ask someone to pray with you. But just to leave here, almost like that camel, why don't you come forward and, and roll all of this over to him and just say, Lord, help me. I want to leave here, and I, I'm going to practice these ancient truths from your word that I might, I might live in anxiety. You may be here today, though, and you really don't have a relationship with God. So this is pretty foreign to you. The fact is God loved you enough, crazy love for us, that he gave his son Jesus to die on the cross. The cross is a symbol of our faith doesn't matter what denomination, what church you'd enter into, a Christian church. It's going to be about Jesus, and it's going to be about the cross today. And you may have come, and I honestly, I know in my own heart and life, if I don't have things right with God, that produces a sense inside of me, a lot of tension, a lot of issue. But when I know that I know God has forgiven me of my sin, and I have that relationship with him, I'm telling you, that is the basis of, of a worry-free life. That's the basis of having the anxiety removed out of me. That's the basis of me behaving and making the right choices. That's what God wants for you today. And with heads bowed, eyes closed, no one looking about, I'm just curious, is there anyone here? And you say, Jeff, for me, I need to open my heart to Jesus today. I want to. I want God in my life. I need his peace. I need forgiveness of my sins, and I know that today. And just with heads bowed, eyes closed, between you and God, and only just me to see you raise your hand. Would you put up your hand and put it down right now? Anyone? Is there anybody? I see those hands. Yes. Thank you. There's three. Is there anyone else today? You put up your hand right now. Say, I want to give my life to God. I see that hand. Thank you. There's four. Is there anybody else today? You can put it down after you've raised it. 
God bless you guys. Anyone else today? Anyone else? I want to ask God to come into my heart and my life today. Anyone else? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Isn't that awesome? Praise God. Praise God. Anyone else? Give you a moment. Amen. Then we're going to pray a prayer. And as we do, I'm going to invite the prayer team to come on forward, if you would, and just be ready to pray with people. But can we pray these words together? Would you pray just out loud? I'm going to ask all of us to pray together. We're just going to talk to God together and ask him to help us right now. Amen. Let's pray these words. Oh, God, I know that I've sinned. I don't have the answer. But I believe in your word. I'm trusting your Bible that says that you love me, that Jesus died for me, that he was raised from the dead, and that you will come into my life, and that you will change me as I believe in you. I put my faith in Jesus. I believe these things, and I ask you now to forgive me and to cleanse me and to change me from the inside out that I might be your child and that you might walk with me every day that I live. God, thank you for peace. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for a new life in you. Help me to walk with you as you walk with me. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together this morning. If you just prayed that, you raised your hand, I'd so encourage you to come forward this morning. Others may come with their own needs and burdens. Carla and I are going to be here. If anybody would want special prayer, we'd love to pray with you this morning. And I'm just going to pray right now to open this time of worship and a time of reflection. There may be one of those six things that really sticks with you. There may be three or four of them today. Would you work this out in your heart right now with God? Father, thank you for your word this morning. Lord, thank you for David. Thank you for a song. It may be ancient, but it sure relates to me right now where I'm at, God. And I pray, Lord, that you would just take your word now and massage it into our hearts, our spirits. Meet us as we pray and seek you now. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen.